If you remember seeing the Lower Ninth Ward on TV, it probably still looks pretty much the same these days, minus the floodwaters. A scattering of homes amidst blocks and blocks of fields of grass. There's still some half-collapsed houses. It's hard to believe there were once thousands of people living here. But it's not a complete ghost town. By the intersection of Urquhart and Deslon streets, there's a man mowing his lawn, a couple other folks chatting on the sidewalk, and a gray and purple house on the corner with banners hanging off the porch. Hey there. Hello, good to see you. You too. Beck Cooper greets me out front. So this is the, oops, sorry, this is the Lower Ninth Ward Living Museum, and it goes in chronological order. Cooper's not so, from New Orleans, but she's learning fast by talking to lots and lots of natives. That's part of her job as director of the Lower Ninth Ward Living Museum, to understand the history of this neighborhood and communicate its meaning to the public. As soon as I walk into the museum, I see a big map hanging on the wall to help get me oriented. So this map of New Orleans, it's just a standard tour map. And you see like the French Quarter, the Warehouse District, you see Canal right where the Mississippi River bends. And you would um, come upon the Lower Ninth Ward, it just kind of cuts out, um, which is just sort of a symbolic marking of how neglected the neighborhood is. Cooper tells me the neighborhood began as an escaped slave colony where blacks and Native Americans coexisted. There was even a cypress swamp that acted as a natural buffer against hurricanes. But that swamp was removed in 1923, and in its place sits what's known as the Industrial Canal, which geographically cuts off the area from the rest of the city. And then over here, I'm going to point out this picture, which is pretty incredible, um, the 1927 Mississippi flood, um, where it's actually documented that the government dynamited the levees and sacrificed the Lower Ninth Ward to save other parts of New Orleans. It's interesting when you think about the stories you hear during Betsy and Katrina of people who, in their personal accounts, claim that the levees were blown up or that it was done purposefully, and that's seen as this giant conspiracy theory. Um, but when you see the history all laid out, it's, it makes you really think <laughs> about how outlandish that really is. Of course, that history of neglect reached new lows in 2005 after Hurricane Katrina hit. The population of the Lower Ninth went from more than 14,000 to less than 3,000 people. We have a plaque on disaster capitalism and all of the different corporations that came down in the aftermath of Katrina to profit off of the chaos. Um, social service cuts and also the FEMA formaldehyde trailers, which... A lot of people don't know about right after Katrina, um, some families were put up in trailers by FEMA that ended up having formaldehyde in them. So we have a plaque on that too. And then this video that's playing is um, accounts from a lot of the different residents who have done oral histories with us and um, kind of goes over everything in this room from their own perspective. Matter of fact, they created what they called the, a look and leave policy. After so many months, you could get on a bus in the upper night and you could look at your house and leave. St. Bernard coming up. Uptown coming up. Canal Street coming up. Every part of town coming up but the night wall. And I think they forgot about it. Or don't worry, ain't worried about it. This disaster system that they set up for us was designed for us to fail. But true to New Orleans spirit, the museum is not just designed to teach about injustices, but to celebrate the neighborhood's cultural history. 
Famous musicians like Fats Domino and Mahalia Jackson hail from the Lower Ninth, and it played an important role in the civil rights era. The Lower Ninth Ward was the kind of ground zero for desegregation in the Deep South and the first elementary school to be desegregated. There is this incredible, vast, rich history of this neighborhood that is being completely destroyed and forgotten about as we speak. The museum opened in 2013 and already has had several thousand visitors. Half of those are New Orleanians and half of them are tourists. I think the goal is to redirect that disaster tourism traffic here and have people who are already coming in for good intentions leave with a real understanding of the history here um, and hear it through the voices of people who lived it but without burdening them to tell their story again and again and without driving through the neighborhood um, in a voyeuristic fashion with cameras hanging out of the window. Um, And at, at the very least be able to go home and return back to their communities and act with us to correct some of the myths about the Lower Ninth Ward. In just the first three years after Katrina, well over one million people came to the Gulf Coast to help. But the expectations of those volunteers and what kind of help is needed has been a topic of contentious debate. One of the most high-profile relief efforts was the brainchild of actor Brad Pitt. His project, called Make It Right, builds energy-efficient homes in the Lower Ninth Ward. These homes look really, really different from the traditional New Orleans old wooden houses. And only a few blocks from the Living History Museum, these space-age modern homes dot the landscape. Altogether, there are about 150 of them. I spoke to Robert Green, who lives in one of the Make It Right homes, about the Lower Ninth Ward's past, present, and future. Green has lived here since he was 12 years old, and he lost his mother and a three-year-old granddaughter in the flood that followed the failure of the levees. Oh, take a walk with you to a particular spot that you could actually see the whole neighborhood in relationship to the way it used to be and in relationship to the way it is now. So you could sort of like, you can't see it on radio, but you can sort of understand how much of a difference uh, this project has made and how far we need to carry the next step of rebuilding this particular neighborhood because as you see, the neighborhood is back right here. If you came on a weekend and the kids were outside playing, or if you came on a weekend and somebody's having a party or somebody's having a second line, then you understand people are back. So we're back to doing some of the same things we did before. It's just that now we're not back in the numbers that this neighborhood used to have as before. Uh, give me a chance to get a jacket. All right. Keep the wind out. It is well. We're going up the street. We're not going far. That lot with those uh, tent uh, frames on, that was James's house. James actually moved to New Orleans East, and he would live back here, but his wife won't come back here because they have a nicer house in New Orleans East. But they could build anything back. Uh, you can look at Charles and Mr. Ricks, and in between them was Gina. That's the Garris, that's the Andrews, that's Leslie, that's the Brumfield. So what I'm basically saying, for me, for my immediate neighbors, I still can't say where those particular people are unless somebody had contact. I'm sure you've been asked this question before, mm-hmm. but do you do you miss the the visual character of of the New Orleans style homes? These no. homes look. It's, it's, it's a foolish thing to think that 
the houses are going to stay the same. Every neighborhood in the city is different. And if you go from uh, Farberg Marigny, if you go from Holy Cross, if you go from the Garden District, if you go from uh, Pontchartrain Park, if you go from Lakeview, every neighborhood is different. So making this neighborhood stay the same as any other neighborhood is, is a foolish idea. If you also understand how many houses are here, 116. So we set the norm. So why worry about what's here? I only worry about Gloria's back. Uh, Tony is back. That's a new family that just came back. That church is back. The cages are back. So what I'm saying is this is my house. This is uh, Miss Brumfield, excuse me, Miss uh, Garrison, who actually lived there before. This is the brother and sister who lived there before. This is Trudy's house. So the idea is it's not so much important how these houses look. It's only that we have these houses. What's important is we are now the gonna be and could be the largest energy producing neighborhood in the country because we all have solar panels. So if we rebuild everything around here with solar panels like these houses or we wound up getting off the fossil fuels, then we understand why oil prices go down. Then we also understand also the clean air factors of what we're doing. So then if you look at from a grandparent's point, I get a chance to make a difference in the lives of my grandchildren and also the air quality of this community. So why not change? Were you skeptical at first about this project? No, you got to realize at every meeting, I stood up at every meeting and said, I'm for it. You have to understand that we have to have something or somebody to, to do that. And basically I became that person. So at every meeting, I wouldn't say I had to think about it. I stand up at the meeting and said, I'm ready for it now. I'll sign up now. And that was the whole idea of what I did, was trying to really recognize that time for waiting, we can walk back. The time for waiting was over. You know, if you sat around and people also asked, did we have any input? If you had input from all these different people, you would never get anything off the ground. You know, how much? Yeah. Are, how much are most of these houses going for? The houses range in price. It's just like anything with real estate. But one thing for sure, you're buying at cost as opposed to market value. Because the range of these houses range from 135 to 175,000. Let me give you something before I answer your question. Okay. You, you, you mentioned that you're, you've been lucky, this block's been lucky, you've gotten more attention. Well, luck has nothing to do with any of it, but go ahead and finish. Um, so, what has that, how has being. Um, featured in the media, being part of this uh, Make It Right project. How has that changed you um, the last decade that you've now been kind of engaging with the rest of the world in a, in a different way than you were before because you're part of this rebuilding project and because you're now people are coming to visit your neighborhood from all over the world? Well, it's not so much they're coming to visit my neighborhood. People are coming to actually do help. For me, I'm more open, but you have to also understand when I say luck has nothing to do with it, luck has nothing to do with it. We're not lucky, we're blessed, but we're also diligent, we're also resilient. And without all of those people who came, and basically if you understand the day Katrina happened, my granddaughter who was three years old actually was washed away in 25 feet of water. She died uh, about 4.30 in the morning. My mother literally drowned. We resuscitated her, brought her back to life, put her on top of the roof that we actually floated to when our house broke up. 
and she survived the drowning but didn't survive Katrina, so she died at one o'clock. So basically, if you understand the tragedy of what happened to us and my two grandchildren, who literally saw their sister disappear in 25 feet of water, saw the neighborhood completely destroyed, saw their grandmother's dead body with her eyes open and a leaf in her mouth, come back to the same neighborhood, past those same spots, and we don't cry. So basically what I'm saying is people have changed me from the simple fact of the matter. When I first told what happened to my mother and granddaughter, I cried. The second time I cried less, the third time a little less. So I told that theory a thousand times to different people. So basically I have no reason to cry. And I have a sign outside that was basically critical of the government's response to Katrina. And it was actually directed at Mr. Bush instead of President Bush. And basically the sign was saying we want our country to love us as much as we love our country. But when I'm standing in front of that sign and I'm talking to groups of volunteers and people who are really down there helping, you don't bitch. So I never got a chance to bitch. So I haven't had a chance to bitch since the day Katrina happened because so many people have been down there helping. So there's nothing other than the fear of simple fact of the matter. People are wonderful, people are helpful, people are kind and thankful that as a grandparent, and talk about grandparents have different ideas about life and children, I can die tomorrow from all the people that have come, and I know this is going to be a wonderful world. It's not going to hell in a handbasket. So from all the eyes that I've seen, from all the people that I've seen, from all the young people that I've seen, it's a wonderful world. So what I got a bitch about for the last 10 years? Nothing.